Well, is that going to work? No? Yes? Can you hear me? No. No? <laughs> I appreciate it. Who, who was honest? Someone was honest. Well, I get the honor of sharing God's word with you this morning. We are going to be in Mark 5, so if you want to start turning there, it's on page 788. While you're turning there, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story. Um, I'm not as good at storytelling as my, my co-laborers, other pastors, but I'm going to give it a try. December 17th, see, I'm already messing up. December 19th, I want to be exact, uh, the pastors got together. I'm going to come down so I can see you. Uh, December 19th, uh, the pastors got together, and we did a half-day pastoral retreat. Uh, Pastor Chuck led us in a discussion well, after Pastor Will led us in some worship, which was excellent, by the way. Thank you for that, brother. Pastor Chuck led us in a discussion as pastors trying to determine what does it look like to be a church that experiences God's love well. So you all should know our mission statement. If you don't, um, welcome because you haven't been here before. Uh, experiencing God's love, extending God's love is our mission as this church. Uh, so experiencing God's love is seemingly easy, but it's difficult for Christians a lot. I don't know why. Probably because we're sinners. We have been on a journey for the last five weeks, experiencing God's love through understanding a statement that we came up with out of that pastoral retreat. We want to be a theologically rich church. We want to be a church that vibrantly worships Jesus. We, as a church, want to be transformed by the gospel, and we want its people to be eager to share the gospel. So those are the four pieces of this sentence that came out of our retreat through prayer and worship and study and thought. Um, we have gone through those three, first three, the last three weeks. This week, I get the opportunity to share about being eager to share it. So we are going to be, you're all in Mark 5 now, right? Good. Blank faces. That's what I love. Uh, <laughs> Page 788, if you've got a pew Bible, if you need one of those, grab it, read it. If you don't have a Bible at home, that black one in front of you is our gift to you. Take that with you, please. Mark 5, we're going to start in verse 1, right in the beginning. We're going to go 20 verses in, so get ready. Okay, Mark 5, verses 1 through 20 says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. 
for he was saying to him, come out, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them the permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and, became, and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Would you pray with me? Father, as we dig into your word this morning, I only ask that you would do your work. I pray that you would give me clarity of mind to speak that which is beyond me. I pray for wisdom and discernment. I pray for faith. I pray that those who listen would have ears to hear. I pray that Christ would be exalted in their eyes, in their mind, and then in their mouths. I pray that you would do a work of transformation in this place right now. You offer salvation to any who would come to you, who would repent of their sins and throw themselves at your mercy. You have promised to receive them gladly into your family. Today, I pray that people would hear your good news, the good news of Jesus, and would run to you. Thank you for loving us. We love you. We pray through Jesus, our King. Amen. Our first point this morning is experiencing God's love produces eagerness to follow. If we look at Mark, or Mark 5, 18, it says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Can you picture that? This guy, demon-possessed by maybe up to 2,000 demons, living in caves, cutting himself. He was a mess. A mess beyond anything we could imagine. He comes to Jesus. He runs to Jesus, it says. He says, Jesus cast the demons out, and he is begging Jesus, let me stay with you. I want to be with you. I want to learn from you. Would you be my rabbi? Would you be my teacher? Would you be my friend? Would you be everything to me? It's everything any evangelist would ever want to hear from somebody. This person had the heart 
of I want to be with Jesus forever. (laughs) What did Jesus say? (laughs) No. (laughs) He says, go home. What? Jesus did not send him to the nations. He did not send him to the unreached people groups. Jesus did, not, did send this man home to be with his friends, to his neighbors, to those who were in his circle before he was demon-possessed. Those who could have been the best witnesses of his transformation. Jesus told him to go home. Does this surprise you? It surprises me. I think that we are called to go to the unreached people groups of the world. There are 2,000 people groups in this world who do not have the gospel, that do not know Jesus as the creator of the universe and the king of the universe. They don't know. This guy would have gone. People who have never heard about Jesus are dying and going to hell. Is Jesus telling us not to go to the hard places of the world? No. He is saying for us to go home first. Every one of us is called to share the gospel of Jesus. We are to be driven out of the caves and go to our friends and our neighbors, to our kids and our grandkids, to our offices. And our classrooms. And to our golf courses. And yes, our pickleball courts. We are called, like this man, to go home. Yeah, Bob, I'm looking at you. Yeah, you see it. I know you. (laughs) Say it another way. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Start where you are. Jerusalem is where they were. They were called to share the gospel with those who were around them first. And this is what started the greatest missional work of all time. How about another story? Some of you know this story. Some of you might not. I encourage you to read it when you get home. John 4. The woman at the well. She was alone in the middle of the day in a desert trying to draw water from a well. Jesus had a long conversation with her. She realized something. Let's read in John 20. Chapter 4, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. Jesus, or just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar in the desert, And went away to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus does want the unreached people groups of the world to be reached. But he wants your neighbors and your friends to be reached as well. Our second point, coming out of verse 19. Eagerness to share God's love flows out of continual gratitude. In verse 19, the command, go home. We focused on that. To your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
He has, he's got freedom from a legion of demons. He was freed to have a job. He was freed to earn money. He was freed to get married. He was freed to have kids. He was freed to eat food. He was freed to move out of the cave he was living in. He was freed from the chains that bound him. And no longer was he having to scream and no longer was he having to cut himself because of the pain he was experiencing. How would you feel if this happened to you? The answer is thankful. Thank you for saving me. There was a sinful woman mentioned in Luke 7. Jesus was eating a meal with a Pharisee when she walked in. Jesus, or she began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. She dried them with her hair. She continued by kissing the feet of Jesus. How does Jesus explain this strange behavior? He says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But we who are forgiven little, love little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. She loved Jesus and was thankful for all that he had done for her. Same as our man who was released from demons. He knew what Jesus did for him. And he was thankful too. Many of you have gone through a lot in your lives. Some of you have gone through so much loss or trauma that it would make most people just freak out. Some of you feel alone even today. Some of you feel unloved. You're worried. You're afraid. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol. Maybe you're addicted to drugs. Maybe you're addicting to overeating. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're arrogant. Maybe you're prideful. Maybe you have a control issue and you feel you have to control everyone and everything around you. Jesus can forgive you and heal you just like the woman and just like the man who, has placed, who, has fill, who was filled with demons. If God forgives you for all of your sins that you have ever committed or that you ever will commit, then the natural reaction for you would be to be over the moon happy. This point can be hard for some Christians, some Christians who have grown up in the church, and they might not remember a time when they didn't believe in Jesus. Maybe it was a long time ago. How can I be thankful for the work that Jesus did in saving me when I don't remember anything before it? The sins you commit today are still purchased by the cross of Jesus. If you want to be thankful for what Jesus has done, then you need to understand and evaluate your sins. When we experience the grace and kindness of God's forgiveness, then you too will feel his presence and you too will be thankful. Third point, we're doing good. Eagerness to share is based on what Jesus has done. It is personal for him. Let's look at verse 19 again. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. Did you hear the end 
the part that we always gloss over when we read that? Let me say it again in another way. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. Jesus was sent as a sacrifice for your sins. He was sent as a model for you. He did it because his father wanted him to. But you are the beneficiary of this great work. You get the benefit of knowing him and loving Jesus. We, we think that Jesus died for people all over the world for all time. We know this is true. But we cannot miss the fact that Jesus died for me. When I gave my life to Christ 23 years ago, the work that Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago was applied to me. The universal work of Christ becomes personal when we confess our sins, when we pray and we ask God for mercy and to be received into his family. The faith God gives me is what saves me. It is very personal. He saves me. And he can save you. This is with, with this with the gratitude point, point two, this is the great moment. This is a great moment for us to be selfish. I know that sounds weird. Jesus died for me, and I am selfish. I want him to save me, not just everyone, but me. You should want him to save you too. He, you should want him to redeem you, to forgive you personally. I hear often enough people feel that they are too bad, too sinful to be saved. If you know the forgiveness of God, then you know this is ludicrous. This is absolutely nuts to think because Jesus' blood was the perfect sacrifice for all of your sins. It was enough, and it is enough for you today if you give your life to him. I am thankful he did this for me. I am going to do something unorthodox. I'm going to invite my friend, Jeremy, to come up. Jeremy has a good story, and he wants to tell you his story. Got a microphone or something for me? Yeah, it's over here. Okay. Nah, man, hey, I got you, I got you. Unless you want me to, like, hug you the entire time. <laughs> you want to hug? Yeah, okay. I do. I love you, brother. I love you. Okay. Good morning, Westchester. Um, I'm very, very grateful to be here with you guys today. Um, I love each and every one of you guys. Um, I got a story. Um, I struggled with drug addiction for 40, 40 years, almost 40 years. Um, violence and anger and hatred and rage and, and lust and all the things of the world and um, I, I grew up in a violent home where I thought that's what made a man, you know, is how tough you were. Um, that's not what makes a man. Jesus showed us what makes a man. Um, I got saved in 2002 in a halfway house for people coming out of prison. Uh, I remember walking through those doors with, with such hatred and anger that... 
it just ate me up and I was tired. And I remember looking at all the people in the day room when I walked in and just thinking to myself, I hate every one of you, you know? And that's a sad, sad way to live. It was just a couple weeks after that that I as my head, head cleared up and, and I started seeing things more clearly. I, I had just drowned myself in drugs for so long that I wasn't able to get that moment of clarity that, you know, this isn't the way that we're supposed to live. Um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try something different. There was a Bible there and I started reading it. It didn't make any sense to me. It was a King James Bible. <laughs> but I read it and I kept reading it. And then I started memorizing scripture. And my life started changing. I started going to people and telling them, hey, you guys knew me. A lot of those people in that, in that place knew me and knew how I was. And they're like, what in the world is going on with this guy? Something happened overnight. I made a little post-it note and I stuck it on the bottom of my, of my top bunk. And I read where Jesus says, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven. And I just, I put this little post-it note on the bottom of my top bunk and, and uh, it said, get on your knees. You know, I'd been surrendering my life to drugs and, and wickedness my whole life, so it was easy for me to surrender when I, was, when I was done fighting. And every night I'd get in that bunk and I'd see that and I'd, oh man. I'd roll out of my bed and I'd get on my knees and I'd say the, say the prayer that Jesus said to pray. Um, Soon after that, I, I read in James, and, and that convicted me of how I was speaking and how I was thinking. What I was putting in my ears and my eyes was corrupting me. What came out of my mouth was corrupting me. Um, I was working at a concrete company, and a, my coworker and I were driving down the road, and I really, really wanted to do this for Jesus. I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to... I wanted to experience his love, and so I'm talking to this coworker, and we're, I got two packs of cigarettes in my pockets, maybe some in my other pockets. I don't know. I smoked a lot. So I, uh, he was talking about quitting smoking, and I said, you know what? I said, I, th I think I'm going to quit too. At that moment, everything went, went silent. I could tell a lot more stories, but this is, this is a good one. Um, Everything went silent, and I was just praying, you know, God, I don't want to be putting this smoke in my body anymore. I don't want to be choking out where you're living at in my heart. And, and I just got this overwhelming sense of God speaking to me, saying, trust me, quit right now. Trust me, Jeremy, I love you, quit right now. I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> and he's using my name. I don't speak to myself in the third person. I never have. <laughs> Bob Dole put an end to that, you know, so I just over and over, you know, trust me, Jeremy, I love you, trust me, quit right now. I reached in my pockets and I smashed those cigarettes and, and threw them out, I wish I wouldn't have thrown them out the window because I did, that was littering, but I did, I, did. I threw them out the window and I said, uh, I said, okay, Lord, and in this place, the men smoked on the bottom half of the hour, the women smoked on the top half. Ten minutes before it was time for us to go smoke, everyone's sitting right there at the door waiting to go out. God stopped time for me. He erased that. I, never, I don't remember one more time sitting at that door waiting to want another cigarette. 
Um, I wish I could tell you that was the beginning of my journey or my um, walking with God. It wasn't. I backslid. I got out of the halfway house, and a friend of mine had joined a motorcycle club, an outlaw motorcycle club. And I said, I'm a Bible beater now. I don't want that no more. You know, I, I, I'm chasing Jesus. Well, good, he says. Uh, we need uh, chaplains to do funerals and, and weddings. And he'd fit right in. We're a family group. That didn't last very long before the violence. Just um, something happened, and then I had to, I was there, you know, and, and that was my life. That's what I knew. So that was, uh, I backslid from there. Um, a lot of years more doing drugs, the guilt and the shame that just ate me up. Um, so this last year, I'm skipping over a lot. So if you, any of y'all want to hear some more of the story, come find me. Um, so I backslid for a lot of years. I got married. Um, I had kids, but I still was, was chasing after Satan and the desires of the world. Um, I lost a parent last year. I, I sobered up um, last year in January. By the grace of God, he just, um, until I surrendered my life totally and said, I want you, Lord. Fully, I want you. I got divorced in this time last September. I lost a parent in October. Um, got fired from a job. I was able to, by the grace of God and his power, to just resist the devil. Um, the word says... Uh, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And man, is that the truth. Um, God has blessed me with a job working with men coming out of jail in a treatment facility. Um, I crave Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to have to say I'm, I'm not selfish with him. I want each and every person in this whole world to experience the love that God has for each and every one of us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. He will change your life instantly if, it's, if you have a pure heart. And if not, come to him and just tell him, you know, to expose the wickedness of my heart so I can bring it to you, Lord. Throw it at the foot of that cross that, that um, you will take that from us. And just from here on out, you know, I love Jesus. I hope each and every one of you love Jesus because he loves you and he died for us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys, Well, thank you. I want to say I love Jeremy's story. How he came to Christ and how vulnerable he has been about his story. A lot of us uh, don't have the same story that he does, which is good. I also want to say, I love Warren's story. I don't know if you know Warren Doberton. He's got a great story. If you don't know him, he's right there. Uh, <laughs> I love my wife's story. Her story is amazing to me. My wife, I didn't ask her if I could talk about her. Patty, is it okay? Okay, thumbs up, we're good. <laughs> I asked Warren, but I forgot my wife. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. 
Uh, my wife gave her life to Christ when she was four and a half years old. Jeremy has a great story. His has a lot of pain in it. My wife's story, God spared her from a lot of pain. That is an amazing story in my mind. Some of you have that story. Some of you gave your life to Christ at a really young age, and you're like, oh, I don't want to tell my story because it's boring, or it's not drug addictions, and, or in my case, atheism. Please do not withhold your story. Your story is how, as Brett said, God interacts with you. When your stories become his story and his story becomes your story, do not deprive the world of your story because it might be the means for them to understand who God is and how he wants to save them. I gave my life to God at 18, 23 years ago. I felt like every Christian was lying to me because no one told me the truth. No one told me what I didn't know. Some of you have been faithful to God for 40, 50, 60 years in your relationship with him, and yet... You sit here today terrified. Is Adam going to make me share my faith with somebody? Is Adam going to make me go across the street to my neighbors who I've asked their name six or seven times and I've forgotten and now it's just awkward? Uh, I want to say no but I really pray that Jesus does. I pray that the Jesus who saved you, who you are so grateful for his salvation, the blood that he shed on the cross is so valuable to you. As, G as Jeremy uh, rebuked, corrected my words about being selfish, I want you first to be selfish Receive it for yourself because he loves you that much. And then turn that passion out. Because the people who live next to you are dying and going to hell. The people who work with you in the cubicle next to you are dying and going to hell. Maybe you're going to a retirement party because you no longer have a job. Those people need you to show up. Maybe you're going to a family reunion. Those people need you to show up. Take every opportunity to share what Jesus had done. My last point for today is the end of all of this mercy giving and this forgiveness and this salvation and this exorcism and this calling to go back home is for everyone. Well, let's read 20. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And here's the last point. And everyone marveled. Another word, worshipped. They're amazed at what God did and what God can do and what God is able to do. 
The man's story led him to obedience to Jesus. It made him thankful to Jesus. And everyone marveled at what he did. My question for you, does your story lead you to be thankful? Or is it just, eh, it's just my story. Are you thankful for what Jesus has done for you? Thank you. Does your story, when shared with people, cause them to marvel at God and what God has done? Sometimes we shy away from telling people what God has done because we don't think our story is important or miraculous. Maybe we assume they don't want to hear about it. Maybe they've heard it and they didn't like it. Maybe they don't want to talk about religious things anymore. Today, like the man talking to Jesus, I beg you, don't stop. Find another way to share your story. Find another way to share what God has done for you. It's not just a theology lesson. That's huge and big picture and meta-narratives. And it's not just ontological arguments for the existence of God and the dentological and existentialism and all these big things. It's not just that. It's God loves you, Zach. Thanks for sitting in the front row. He loves you enough to send his son to die on the cross, to save you, to send his Holy Spirit to live inside you, to become a friend to you, to always be with you, never to forsake you, to take you from where you are now in holiness to where you're going to be, to take you from this earth into heaven and to experience all of God's love forever. That's what he desires. And he desires it for your friends, your neighbors, your family, your grandkids, your coworkers, the people who are around you all the time. He wants it for you. He wants it for them. My advice to you today, and maybe being me, my challenge for you. Find a way to tell your story in such a way for God to be praised by those who do not know him. If you need to practice telling your story, do it. If you need to tell somebody your story to practice, I'm all yours. The people sitting next to you, I bet you they would listen. I bet you they would enjoy it. Practice on each other so that you get good at sharing your testimony to those who have not heard yet. If you don't know what the word testimony means, that just means your story. Get good at telling your story to each other so that when the world hears it, they will marvel at the God who loves them. Amen? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We give you all the glory. We are so thankful for your word. We thank you for Mark writing down this story of how you release this man from his own personal hell. Thank you for the story of the woman at the well, how she ran off to go tell everyone what you did. Thank you for the woman who came in, who was a sinner. She knew it. She came in. She, she cried tears and wiped your feet. 
Give us that passion for you. Give us that devotion to you that we would go, instead of sitting at your feet, we would go to the people who probably hate us, the people who do not understand us, the people who don't like us, that we would love them so much that they would want to know more about you. Give us a boldness. Give us a passion for you. We know the truth about who you are and what you came to do. Most of my brothers and sisters here could give a great theology lesson. My heart breaks because that theology lesson doesn't always transfer into my, my friend is dying. My brother is dying. My sister is dying. My neighbors are dying. And they're all going to go to hell if they don't know you. They need to know. I must tell them. I don't want the blood of my neighbors on my head. Would you change us? Would you transform me? Would you help me to know you in such a way that it propels me to give grace and mercy and kindness and love and forgiveness and honesty and transparency and authenticity to the people who have not heard about you? They don't need our hate. We are not their enemy, and they are not our enemy. Would you forgive us for where we are arrogant, where we are prideful, where we are afraid? Overcome our sin. Don't let our sin stop you from doing your work. We worship you here. We honor you we give you glory. We love you. Thank you for being you. We pray through Jesus. Amen.